Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 132. My guest in episode 132 today is Jamie Margolin. And Jamie is the founder of Zero Hour. She is one of the most important climate activists really on the planet at this point. She and her team are gearing up for an amazing event called the World Climate Summit, which will take place this week actually in Miami, Florida. And she will be starting her senior year of high school in a couple of months. This was a really, really unique opportunity to speak with someone who has really grabbed the opportunity and just stepped out on an issue that is important to them and made a stand. I learned a tremendous amount. I found her incredibly motivating. She is focused. She is dedicated. She is developing an unbelievable leadership portfolio, and she is doing really, really important work. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. This is really unique and really special. Before we get to the conversation with Jamie, I want to invite all of you to to please take a look at the archive for Explore the Space podcast. You can find us at www.explorethespaceshow.com. There is some really good climate change related content in the archive as well. We had Rob Larter, who's an Antarctic ice researcher. We've had David Wallace-Wells, who came on to talk about his incredible book. Please take a look around the archive. I think you'll find some great stuff that you'll really enjoy listening to and really be able to learn a lot from. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show. You can find me on Instagram at explore the space show. You can email me anytime mark at explore the space show.com. And you can find explore the space on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Definitely take the opportunity to subscribe. We've got lots more great content coming your way. And if you haven't done so already, please do leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a couple of seconds and it really helps the show out. Really appreciate everyone who's already taken that step and would definitely ask if you're enjoying the show, please do leave a rating and a review. Jamie Margolin is something special. She is a phenomenon, and this is a really, really unique and interesting conversation. It was a real treat to speak with her. And so without further ado, Jamie Margolin. Jamie, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We were reflecting a little bit before we started recording, and you said something that actually really struck me. And because I was thinking, you know, I want to figure out how how do we how do we launch into this? This is such a unique opportunity for me to speak with a rising high school senior who's become one of the most powerful and most important climate activists we have right now. And you mm-hmm. said something about where you live in the Pacific Northwest, and it was just about it, it was a reflection around the natural beauty. And so actually, let's pick up right there. You you know, you spoke, that was, that was the first thing you went to was in this idea of how did you get started doing this? How did we get to zero hour? How did we get to this place that we're at now with how active you are? And it's around this concept of natural Mm -hmm. beauty. Walk me through that evolution for you. Yeah. Well, for me, I've pretty much lived in the Pacific Northwest my whole life and growing up, there were always signs that, well, there was a contrast of the beauty that I live in, but there was also signs that something was wrong and that this kind of, there's trouble in paradise. Um, Because 
I would I would walk by the beach and there would be signs that say, please don't um, bother the resting seal pups. And then there would also be signs by the beach that are just like, these are some common things you'll see here. You're common to see orcas, porpoises. I've never seen a single creature that they say. I've never seen an orca, porpoise, whales, all these things that the signs at the beach that are outdated now say that are super common and all the don't disturb the resting seal pups. I've never seen a seal pup in my entire life. Wow. So. Right now, like the oceans in Seattle, like around the Puget Sound are acidifying and we're very like sea based culture in in terms of like seafood. And that's like a big part of the economy and just the culture and just the oceans are dying and literally turning to acid almost. And so this is super terrifying. And it's also like a big wake up call because you see the contrast between what could have been. And, and what's happening now. And so growing up with that, there's always been also because the West coast was like colonized last. Like if you go to New York city, you don't really see much evidence of like the former indigenous cultures that were there. But if you go to here in Seattle, like you see totem poles, you see like there are little reminders here and there that just like, this is colonized land. And so like, there's more of like a respect I think like for indigenous culture and also and so for me seeing those these like relics of a culture that has been so attacked it was just like very sad for me and I felt like you know like a longing to protect that and to protect the Pacific Northwest ever since I was little and so that's been a part of my upbringing but what what actually pushed me to take action on climate was more of the existential dread of the whole crisis versus my love for the Pacific Northwest it kind of pushed me over the edge I was listening to you now and one of the statements that you made about trouble in paradise and this idea of reflecting on where we were and living amongst natural beauty but also feeling that sense of existential dread i am shoulder to shoulder with you because i live just north of san francisco i live in northern california there is a town to the northwest of me called paradise that is gone it was burned in a wildfire last year and yeah. it was almost entirely destroyed And at the hospital that I work at, we continue to meet people who were displaced from paradise, who lived in paradise, who lost all access to healthcare because there's no healthcare in paradise. So they come to Santa Rosa. I also live in an area that is one of the most beautiful places to live in the world. And we Mm -hmm. live with that sense of dread. We are approaching wildfire season. The governor has already declared a state of emergency. We are doing active cleanup. People are keeping their lawns really short. I am right there with you. What you just said, I am I am like vibrating with how much that resonates. It's a tough mm-hmm. spot to be in. Um, and I like it really that, is. Yeah, I like that you've flipped it and said, I'm not just gonna sit here and take punches. I am going right. to start to move things in a different direction, hopefully. Yes. What was the yes. first step? Because you're you're you were you're in high school. I, you know, I were also reflecting yeah. a little bit before we started on what I was doing when I was in high school. And I like to think I was doing some interesting and good things. I was not starting zero hour. What were right. those first <laughs> steps? What was, first of all, what were just the mental barriers to get past to say, you know, I have a lot of things I need to do. I got to study. I got to, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to have a social life. I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to be in high school. I also right. want to learn how to be an activist. What are those barriers like to get through that? Well, for me, what really pushed me over the edge was the 2016 election. Um, I So I had always been very hyper-politically active. I had always been, um, you know, I grew up watching like the Colbert Report and the Daily Show and like all these political satire shows when I was like nine. Like that was my Disney channel. And um, 
That's awesome, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was probably too young to, to watch shows like that, but I was watching it anyway. And so I developed that like hyper political mindset. MSNBC is on my house 24 seven, like just abuse in the background constantly. So I had that and I started getting involved when I was 14 years old. I uh, became an intern at my local democratic headquarters campaign office for the 2016 election. Um, before that I was an athlete. So I was a rhythmic gymnast and that was like competitive. And that was like pretty much my whole life outside of school. I got some injuries and I was forced to stay home, which meant I was listening to the news, which meant I was listening to the presidential debates and uh, this and when it when it became between Trump and Hillary, I was just like, okay, this is a no brainer. Like, you know, like this is this is insane. And so I became an intern at my local Democratic headquarters. I was at the campaign office. Like when I didn't have school, like seven hours a day, working so hard, it was my first time being a part of something bigger than myself. And it was kind of like that feeling that like I could finally put all of that rage and all those political opinions that I had, all that political energy into good use, you know, canvassing, training volunteers, et cetera. I was the only Hispanic person in the office. So, um, I would serve as like the unofficial Spanish translator when like people called in Spanish and I would like translate. And, um, it was just like a wonderful experience. And I earned the respect of the people in the campaign office as the youngest person there. And then the 2016 election did not go the way I think most people listening to this podcast hoped. Um, and that really just threw me like into kind of a depression for a little while until I realized I should probably, I was like, okay, what's like the most important issue? Like what's going to keep me up at night? And I thought like climate change and this climate disaster that was upon us. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take action. And so I joined a local environmental organization and it all kind of snowballed from there. I like that you kind of got your chops at the local level. And yeah, I did they did they tee that up for you, and did they sort of say, "Look, you're you're the youngest person here. Let go, go try everything. We want you to try doing canvassing. We want you to get on the phone. We want you to meet people." No, it was more of just the work that needed to be done. Okay, got it, it wasn't like it wasn't like it was just like the canvassing had to be done by someone. So uh, okay, there yeah. And then one of the things that you've done with Zero Hour is you've also been very effective at leveraging social media and leveraging oh, yeah. and leveraging electronic communication. Where yeah. did that skill set come from? Where did that kind of putting those pieces together, what you learned in the office versus what you already knew how to do, how did you connect those? Because that's important work for anybody. I mean, for me, the social media came from like, I first got social media around like when I was, um, I think I just turned 15 and I downloaded Instagram and Twitter. Um, and for a while, like I was pretty bad at it and I didn't know, but, but you just by doing and by seeing and by following people, you just get the hang of it. I guess just by being a teenager, like that culture, <laughs> you're, just immersed. You really, you're just immersed. And so you really get the hang of it. Did you find then as you're putting these things together, we always need to have a level of connection to get movement. You can do things on social media for sure. You can, you can write, but you've got to have allies. You've got to have a constituency. You've got to have other people with energy to help, to help move things forward. How did you find other people to help create the sort of, to, to help create a, an organization, to help create something with some structure? Well, it really started little by little. I, I, 
first you have to have a concrete vision and then you put that vision out into the world. So I had very clear um, what I was doing and that I was going to be organizing a youth climate march back in the summer of 2017 after about a full year of just immersing myself in local politics, local organizing here in Seattle, just like community organizing, like that hardcore, unglamorous, uh, not media attractive, but very important, just like work after a year of that and like gaining those skills. Um, I organized... I posted on social media that I was going to, that, that it's time for a youth climate march because like this was before any of the major like youth climate movement and mobilizations that we're seeing now with like the school strikes. And so there really was nothing on that. And so I was just like, this needs to happen. Um, especially after the wildfires of 2017 and the, um, hurricane Maria, hurricane Harvey, all those disasters that kind of pushed me over the edge because at first I was scared to act on that vision of a youth climate march. I had, I'd had that vision for a while. Um, so why were you that, scared? That what were you scared of? Because well, I mean, fear is such a, a huge barrier for all of it, us. It's it's like it's a it's a lot of work. Yeah. It, it's no one knows exactly how to organize and how to do. I mean, people do know, but it's I didn't know. Um, and it's just a lot of pressure, and it's very easy to fail at those kinds of things. So it's just like, how do I even start? Like, where do we even begin? And where did you start? What was the foothold? Well, I posted on social media that I was going to do this, and then I asked who wanted to join me. And then I got a message from this girl named Nadia who had been following me for a while. And she said that – and so her and I just started getting on calls at the time and just building. And then I got a few more messages, and I brought people in, and I talked about it. And then, like, from that, like, just talking to people and bringing people in and communicating that message to, like, everyone I could find, we kind of built a team to organize. Okay. And when was this? This was in the summer of 2017. That's right, summer of 2017. So it's interesting. This came together. Then we can we can look at the timeline and recognize that you step through these barriers. That things moved fast because by the summer of 2018, July 21st of 2018, you've got the National Zero Hour March happening and 25 yeah. sister marches around the world, all yeah. organized, all up and running. That must, what does that feel like? I know which adjectives I would use, but I'm curious when you think back on that and you hear me say it in the span of less than a year, you do the, you get all of this stuff done. You launch an organization and you have this huge day around the world. When you reflect, what does that feel like? Well, in the moment I, I'm a workaholic and also just like a perfectionist. So in the moment (laughs) I was not like impressed by it I was just more worried about things going right I was more worried about like you know I kind of have this unhealthy mindset of like things not being enough so I was like shoot I like you know like I was just in a very work mindset so I didn't really take the time to appreciate it when you say it now I'm like yeah that was pretty cool but I never really took a step back and was like hey that was impressive what we just did I I tend not to do that so that's kind of a so then when you're sitting in that spot and you finish it I get the sense that for you, it was, okay, we've done this. This was successful. Whether or not you're giving yourself the credits and plaudits that you deserve, you're already moving on to the next thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. But we have to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's talk about the next thing. Cause it is not far away. It's, are you using the same tools and the same activities and the same people and the same energy to get ready for what we have coming up, which is on July, 12th, yes. which is July 12th yes. and 14th. It's in more ref- yeah. So the youth climate summit happening July 12th through the 14th in Miami, Florida, there will also be some sister actions around the world. We don't have the number yet, but there will be people taking solidarity actions in their communities. 
we organize like the same way, but with more strategic because like this is like our second time around and we kind of know it's happening. But also a summit is much harder to organize than a march and it's a lot more sophisticated and, the, and it's a lot more, you know, coordination and it's kind of like a mobilization to the next level. Like organizing a conference slash mobilization has so many tiny little moving parts. And so we do it through social media, through emails, through conference calls, mobilizing our partners, really just like it's a testing of all of our skills. Plus on top of that, since we became established as an organization, we're doing like other activities, helping other organizations with things, doing speaking engagements. So it's, it's just a lot. And with all of that, it's hard to take a step back and be like, this is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. When you are in, cause you're in the middle of all of this now, and I appreciate you taking time to speak with me. Yeah. Do you have expertise that is, that is helping you. Do you have people that have done things like this before that you've either reached out to or reached out to yeah. you to partner with? We have a network of youth, uh, not youth. Uh, we have a network of adult mentors, like a few adult mentors who really help us out. They uh-huh. kind of advise our team and like with things like press and funding and um, things that, that take a more sophisticated strategy we have adults who kind of mentor us and guide us and like teach us how to so they teach the youth how to do the skills of like how to write a grant and now like the fundraising team pretty much operates without an adult mentor because they got the hang of like grant writing crowdfunding all of that but um like our press team has someone to help with like press connections and it's just it's it's just really helpful and movement should be intergenerational anyway because there's no use in pitting generations against each other so yeah now as you've done all of this, I'm just thinking what the learning curve must feel like. You you have built you must have been and still are just building the most unbelievable skill set. What would you say are the skills that three years ago you never would dream that you would have as you're approaching your senior year of high school? Okay, so skill set, I guess, is just like the art of herding cats, of like getting people to do <laughs> things, managing people, yeah. um, nagging people, building a team. I know how to write a press release. I know how to um, promote a campaign on social media. I know how to like, um, like, uh, like a, not just like post something, but like to make a sophisticated social media strategy and execute it. I know how to a lot of like public speaking skills, and I know how to like run a conference call and run a meeting, make a schedule, um, make an agenda, all of that. Time management is definitely a big thing. I know how to like like read contracts, sign contracts. Um, I know how to conduct job interviews and hire contractors. Um, and like, I know how to, yeah, like weed through job candidates, hire people, um, work with like read contracts of like, and see if like they're fair or not. Um, write an op-ed, all of those things, like all of the nonprofit things, like you just kind of have to be a jack of all trades. You've learned how to lead. That's yeah. what I would say. You've just, you've learned how to lead at a very high level. Yeah. At a very high level. I've also learned a lot about interpersonal communication and yeah. people and dealing with conflict and problems because working with humans is a clusterfuck sometimes. If I'm allowed <laughs> it's to say a that. challenge. It is a challenge. I agree with you. And it's amazing to reflect that. How, I keep saying reflect you're, you're, you've left all this stuff sort of in the rear view mirror because you're moving forward. I like yeah. that perspective. I was a history major in college. So I like to look back a little bit and say, well, where were we? What did we get from that? Because for me, that is often rocket fuel and it also helps with goal setting. It also helps to identify where, where do I need to continue to build? Where am I not as strong as I should be? Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible to see how fast and how much you've been able to, 
kind of add to your checklist of things that you're now capable of doing. There's a word that I like to use. It's called mm-hmm. pluripotent. Basically, you have multiple different potencies now. And I think that that's yeah. it's vital for you in this work. What is the Youth Climate Summit, though, exactly? When you sat down and you create, a, you're thinking to yourself, what's the mission statement? What are the goals of the Youth Climate Summit? Three days in Miami, Florida in the summer. When people, again, like me, look back and say, well, in July of 2019, Zero Hour hosted, organized, ran, put on the Youth Climate Summit, and this is what was accomplished. What are you looking for that answer to be? So one is for the experience of the actual attendees. It's it's taking it to the next level and training um training young people and adults on the skills that they need to really build a movement, take the movement to the next level. Um, The goal is also really to unite the movement and bring people from different areas of the climate movement of activism uh, to learn about climate justice and the systems of oppression that caused this and hear from young people on the front lines and really just have a much more holistic approach to this issue as well as a greater sense of urgency and a greater sense of the solutions, the the grassroots solutions that need to happen. Another thing, another part of the mission is the external, the media. Um, We are hosting in Miami because Miami will be underwater soon. And we, the only time that Miami is reported on in climate change is to say, look how it's flooding. It's going to be underwater soon. And it's just kind of like that victim mindset. Whereas we're going into the city, we're working with local organizers and we're saying like, no, the city is fighting back. And the media and the national attention, especially for these big climate events, which never happen in places that are actually on the front lines of the issue, need to be focusing on the ground zeros of climate change, like Miami and New Orleans and all of these places. Um, so we'll look back and we'll say that we changed the narrative and changed the conversation and brought urgency to places like Miami, mobilized South Florida and mobilized um, these communities that are on the front lines of this issue. And it's really not us coming in and colonizing because there's so much work already being done. So I don't like to say that we're coming in and like the community is already empowered and already working, but we're taking our national um, spotlight and shifting it to that so that the highlight the national spotlight is on Miami and the work that's being done there as well as kids on the front lines of the climate crisis. And so there's like that, this is almost like part two of the youth climate March where it's like the the sequel, but uh, bigger and better because it's more sophisticated in the way that it's organized because it's not just a March. So it is a mobilization in itself as well, kind of working on solidifying a sense of urgency on the climate crisis and a sense of emergency. So those are the main two goals is the, the, the impact it makes, to other people, but then also um, the experience of the people at the summit. With the this work, though, and I think you said this yourself, it brings and you also hope to bring attention. You want mm-hmm. to have a spotlight for a couple of days in Miami, Florida. You want it's what I'm hearing from you is that you want that attention from press, from TV media, from social media. You want those things yes. to happen. Yes. With that attention, with that scrutiny, I would imagine comes some pushback, comes some resistance. On this journey, have you experienced resistance? Have you experienced pushback? Have you had people, organizations, these sorts of say, stop, you're doing the wrong work, go back to high school? What what sort of resistance have you experienced? I mean, I've experienced, yeah, people like it's mostly trolls on social media who are just like really easy to ignore. Like they'll be like, This is dumb, you don't know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's also um it's very easy to, it's very, 
a lot of the pushback also comes like within the organ within the movement and not within the climate movement necessarily, but in terms of like securing funding, securing, um, securing resources and stuff. There are a lot of people who don't think that like kids can be trusted with money or kids can be trusted with, with whatever. And so it's, it's very hard to get the resources that we need from people. Wow. Um, so, so it's so not even so much the, the substance of what the movement is about. It's changing people's perceptions of what someone who's about to be a senior in high school is capable of. Yeah. That is really interesting. Are you experiencing yeah. pushback from people who are still saying climate change is not happening? I mean, yeah, but yeah. I ignore them They're, at this point. It's like, there's no use in even engaging deniers. I don't even engage deniers. Like, yeah, I did like an interview with like Sky News yesterday and there was like people live tweeting like the TV interview or just like, this is stupid. Yeah. These are extinction rebellion, like cons, commies, whatever. And I'm just like, I don't, why even engage with that? Like they're beyond their lost cause. And right now the biggest problem is really climate delayal and climate apathy versus denial. So, um, that's what I focus on. That, that, that's a similar perspective that I have. I've had a couple of other episodes where we've talked about climate change before. And at some point you have to say, look, we're doing the right work. We have to press on. We're not going to have 100% consensus. And for right now, at least that's okay. Cause it's not going to stop us either. And we just have to, we've got a certain amount of bandwidth and a certain amount of energy and it needs to all be focused on the mission. Yeah, exactly. So we spoke a little bit earlier about all of these incredible skills that you've developed and now it's coming to, you know, you said the sequel, right? The next part of all of this work with zero hour, the youth climate summit. I would imagine that there will be more. I get the sense that you have a, a very clear roadmap, but part of that roadmap is going to also be the next step for you personally. And that's going to be when you get mm -hmm. ready to go to college. I would imagine you're going to be a very highly sought after college applicant and this brings us to an article that you wrote that was published just a couple of days ago in Teen mm -hmm. Vogue that I read it and I was just blown away. The title of the mm -hmm. article, For My Future College, Fossil Fuel Divestment is a Must-Have So the Climate Crisis Doesn't Make My Education Useless. That's a really cool title. And in the article, you're saying, listen, where I go to school, you're going to want me to come to your school. I'm talented. I'm bright. I've got a great future and I'm going to make your institution better just like you'll help me learn. But mm -hmm. that comes, I'm not just coming because I want to, there are, there, there are writers attached. What was the thought process behind putting this op-ed together? The, the, the thought process was really, I was at a, um, divest Harvard event. I have a friend of uh, the founders of zero hour, New York city or New York city chapter, um, goes to Harvard and Harvard is has probably billions invested in the fossil fuel industry. And there's just the irony struck me. And so Harvard in April had this thing called heat week where they were putting like heat, putting the pressure on, um, on the university to divest from fossil fuels. And so what happened was I went to this protest. I spoke at it. I showed up for my girl, Ilana and, um, was there. And I really, saw the urgency of divestment and also the hypocrisy in the high institutions of, um, educational institutions, because they say that they're preparing you for the future while they're actively investing in its destruction. That's just mind blowing to me. And so for me, um, wherever I go to college, you know, I might actually, what I might do is I might go to a college that, that is invested in the fossil fuel industry, to pick a fight with them and just like, <laughs> like I'm going to like, I'm going to, if I like get into an Ivy league or something yeah. that is like, you know, at this, I'm not going to weasel out of it and attend an, an industry, uh, not an industry, a college that like 
necessarily aligns with my values. I want to go there and change them and raise hell and until, until we get the change that I need. So, um, so, so that's, what's going to happen. I mean, for any college, like just because I, maybe I decide to go like I, to, I don't know, Harvard, Princeton, whatever, if I get in, um, that doesn't mean I'm endorsing or I'm setting this aside. Like if I'm going to your school and you're invested in the fossil fuel industry, watch out because I think in college, I'm going to be focused on the divestment movement. I want to pass zero hour on to the next generation of high school activists. Cause it really is a high school organization. I'm going to toss the baton and I'm going to like go into that college divestment battle and pick some fights with universities because it needs to happen. I'm, I'm struck by a mindset that you have. And what I get the sense is a strength that you have that quite honestly is something that I'm and a lot of other people in leadership are working to build. And that is the idea of how we approach conflict, how we move through conflict, how we change minds. I get the mm-hmm. sense that number one, you're not afraid of conflict. And number two, sometimes you seek it out. Is that a correct yeah. assessment? Yeah. Where does that come from? Where does that, because for me, I'm different. And I, there are characteristics I think that you're describing that I think a lot of people would actually benefit from this idea of it is okay to come into conflict as long as you have the right skill set to move through it. But it is also okay to, when you see something that's wrong, this is how you call it out. And this is how you step into that tension. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's, there's no point in, in preaching to the choir. Um, I mean, I immobilize the choir and I, um, you know, like uh, in terms of preaching, like I'll invite the choir to attend events and stuff and show up. But in terms of like spreading the message, you really have to talk about it to positions of power and you might get pushback. But as long as you're you have facts to back up your arguments and you're arguing it in a civilized way, just getting that message out there in those spaces where it usually isn't is important. Like my favorite kinds of speeches and what is when I go to like super privileged places and places that are not usually receptive to the climate justice message and I can just school them like I would much rather be you know at some big business conference telling ceos what's up then like um even if they feel if i make them all uncomfortable and i get pushback then you know in a community group where everyone agrees with me and i'm just kind of saying something that i know is going to get applause what what's an example of something like that because that sounds incredible yeah um i mean i remember uh i was at a summit in beverly hills it was very um the EMA summit and the environmental media association. I think that's what they're called. And there were a lot of corporations there, like kind of pushing like this fake green, like corporate green, like Toyota was, was just like trying to sell cars and saying how that's eco-friendly, which is just like selling anything, let alone cars is like not. Um, and there was just like, there was like Sephora and H and M and like all of these and like diamond mining and all of these like corporations that were just trying to greenwash what they were doing. when in reality, they were just pushing the same systems that are causing the climate crisis in the first place. And so during my panel, I just got up there and I just like called them out by name. And then I left. Um, and then from what I heard after that, like there was like the guy from Toyota was like awkward and like, no, you know, like I kind of left them like, fumbling with the damages and they just kind of left. So, wow. um, I'll do stuff like that. That's yeah. amazing. Is there, is there, is there a YouTube clip of that? Uh, no. Oh, okay. That's an interesting, that's an interesting take. And, and I mean, it brings us to the subject, right? It's really easy to get caught in an echo chamber, especially on social media. Um, and especially when you're doing this sort of thing. So what I hear is that you actively try to step out of that and find places where you can, find an oppositional view and lay it out. Yeah. 
who helps you find those opportunities or are you doing it yourself? Are you actively seeking those out or is there someone that is helping you coordinate finding oh, opportunities? Oh, I just get like invites that? in my inbox invites. and then I just, I do it. I don't really seek them out. Yeah. And then when you're, so you, you do these things, you come back from Beverly Hills and then you go back to high school. That must be a yeah. really interesting dichotomy to be doing this international climate work and receiving all of this attention and scrutiny and that you're still in high school. You go back to class and you go back. I remember I got a, I got an email from you when I first, I think it was like the second time I ever emailed you to say if you wanted to come on the podcast and it was an auto return that said, I'm taking some time away because I have to study for my SATs. I just, I mean, that just froze me because I remember my mindset when I was studying for the SAT. I was not doing climate activism at the time. That must be. Yeah, I really- didn't do too well on the SAT. I need to retake it because I didn't actually study for it. <laughs> Fair I like, I set up these email responses like, hi, I'm taking time off to like work on finals, but then I just don't. And then I just do more climate stuff. And then I'm like, well, grades don't matter, I suppose. <laughs> and, um, and I will say that you did reply to my email within like 36 hours too. Yeah. Yeah. I have those email responses, but then I like. Is it a challenge? What well, is? Is it a challenge to balance priorities? Are you having to recalibrate to figure out your priorities? Because you do need to attend to your life. Um, yeah, well. yeah, I, I'm trying to find a balance, but it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's I, I haven't figured it out yet. People ask me like, what's the secret to like the school zero hour balance? And I'm like, I don't have one. You don't have one. What does your school say? What are the administrators and your teachers at your high school say when I mean, they know well, what you're the doing. teachers at my high school, most of them are pretty supportive. They're just kind of annoyed when like I miss um, like, when I miss school. Um, okay. Not annoyed when I miss school, but like, you know, get behind on, on, on assignments and stuff, but they're really supportive. And like the director of attendance at my school is like super supportive. Like she even like donated to my organization wow. a little bit. It's like, so, so I have some pretty, like the school does not push back on what I do. They, they're pretty, it's just a matter of, it, it's just so much work that, that sometimes I fall behind in school, but. So you're making some sacrifices though. This is not all you know, fun and games. There are some real tangible things. It's taking you away from being able to study for the SAT. It's taking you away from being on campus and seeing your friends and doing those sorts of things. Yeah. So you're working through that, right? There's, you've put something before yourself. That's a real challenge. And along with that comes some sacrifices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It definitely comes with a lot of sacrifices. Worth it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. What would you say are the a couple of the things that are making the sacrifice, the energy, the outlay of effort, all of this, what's making it feel worth it? I guess just like the messages I get from like young people and that are, um, the messages that I get from young people that are just like, you know, this is really inspiring. I'm going to join the movement. I'm going to like, just, just seeing the feedback and seeing like people take part in this is really just makes it all worth it. I can imagine, I can imagine. I don't know that I actually can imagine what that would feel like launching something like this while still in high school and getting this kind of response. It's definitely, it's an incredible arc that you're on. The The op-ed in Teen Vogue was outstanding and it's going to be really interesting to see the impact that the Miami summit has. And that's, it's, it's just right around yeah. the corner. People are going to obviously hear this and they're going to want to engage. We're going to have a link to the to the Teen Vogue article. But how do people find Zero Hour? How do they learn about the Youth Climate yeah. Summit? How do they find you? So you can go to thisiszerohour.org. And on thisiszerohour.org, they, it pops up like the registration link. Um, 
the registration link to sign up to attend the Miami summit. If you, it's open to all ages, it's called the youth climate summit because it's led by youth. Um, but it's really open to anyone. And so you can attend the summit. You can come down to Miami. Uh, it's the youth climate summit. Um, you go to this is zero hour.org. This is zero hour.org is where you can find everything. It links to our merch. It links to our donate button. If you want to donate to support the movement, cause we are a grassroots like youth led movement with no, long-term staff or anything like that like we don't we're a completely volunteer run and you can find us on social media we're at at this is your hour it's just this is your hour for facebook instagram and twitter um and you can engage with us there and you can find me on also facebook instagram and twitter i'm just just type in my name jamie mark olin and it should be my face it should come up so <laughs> um yeah, that's where you can find me. I encourage you all to get out your phones, whatever device that you're looking at this and follow me and Zero Hour on social media, but also go to our website and see if you want to um, come to the summit or if you want to donate or if you want to learn more, read more, but just please do engage with the movement after you finish listening to this podcast. It's been absolutely fascinating to speak with you and I really appreciate you taking the time. You obviously have a lot going on and it will continue after the Youth Climate Summit. Oh yeah, I, I've been following you now for probably four or five months and the tempo of your work, the tempo of writing, the tempo of these sorts of massive activities is it's, it's incredible and thank it's going to be fun to watch you continue to do it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to explore the space. Visit us on our website, explore the space and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.